I feel like I need to pray again. <laughs> All right? <clears throat> ah, let me pray one more time. We're going to get rolling in the sermon this morning. Jesus, we come to you again, and I just beg for you to make yourself known to us, Lord. I just pray that you would speak through me this morning. You would get me out of the way. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would move mightily in the hearts of men and women and children this morning. I, I pray, too, that the kids would just have an amazing experience as they're hunting for eggs and just singing loudly and having fun. I pray that their experience would just be amazing this morning. I pray for your protection over them. I pray for their salvation, Lord. Just bless this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, it's great to have you with us. And this morning, we are going to be in Esther. It's in the Old Testament. Uh, the book of Esther, we're going to be in chapter 4, and we're actually going to look through this whole chapter, uh, verses 1 through 17, and uh, you say, man, this isn't really like an Eastern message. Um, it is, and you're going to find out why, okay? Uh, <clears throat> Esther chapter 4, verses 1 through 17, feel free to turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, we're going to have the verses on the screen for you. But I just wanted to start this, this morning's message by asking the question, how much difference can one life really make? How much difference can one life really make? You know, with over 7 billion people on earth, it's easy to get lost in the crowd. It's very easy. It's easy to forget the importance of one life. It's hard not to get lost in the masses, to become just another number. There's so many important people on this planet, right? People with skills and talents and abilities. And like, who am I? Who am I? In these masses of people. What can one person do to contribute to the overwhelming needs of this world? It's, it's so easy to be overwhelmed by the vastness. Like, how much difference can one life really make? The truth is, there is only one you. You're the only you in all the world. God created you unique. You're the only person with your exact heritage, your precise journey in life, the hardships and successes you faced in life have brought you to this moment right here, right now. It is not an accident that you are here this morning. You're the only one with your personal convictions, your personality, your appearance, your touch, your voice, your style, your influence, your fingerprint. You're the only you. God doesn't make copies. He makes originals. You're the only you. History is full of individuals who made a difference. They changed the world with their life. Think of military battles that changed because of the influence of one heroic person. Artists who used their creativity to make a difference. Michelangelo, Beethoven. Think of scientists and inventors and explorers. Those who influenced the advancement of technology that has literally changed the course of history. Think about preachers who stood in the gap to make a difference. The Apostle Paul. Think of the preacher Charles Spurgeon. He's the one who said, Morality may keep you out of jail, but only the blood of Jesus will keep you out of hell. Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Wesley, John Wycliffe, Billy Graham, you know, to name a few. In the Scriptures, 
more often than not, we see individual men and women who made a difference. Who stood in, you know, who stood up to injustice, people who stood in the gap and changed history. From Genesis to Revelation, we see God using people to make a difference. We see God using one missionary, Kelly Kosky, investing most of his life in an area, you know, facing many difficult situations, many trying situations, even losing his leg in the process. But because of one life, many tribes have been evangelized. Because of one life, many people's lives have been changed for eternity. And today, we're going to see in the book of Esther, we're going to see one woman who decided to risk her life to save a nation. Every single life is greatly valued by God. Your life matters greatly. Your life is important. You can be a difference maker in this world. So let me catch you up to speed in the story of Esther. This is actually week five of this series. You can listen to the previous weeks online at gracedurango.com. But let me catch you up to speed in the story of Esther. There's a king named Xerxes. You've probably heard of him, Artist Xerxes. Um, he rules over a kingdom in Persia. It's actually the largest kingdom in all the world. Xerxes is the most powerful man in his day. Many consider him to be a god. Xerxes um, divorces his wife in a drunken rage. And once he sobers up, he realizes it, it wasn't the best choice. Uh, I think many of us could probably relate to that. You don't make good choices when you're drunk. So he holds uh, an enormous beauty pageant. Okay? He divorces his wife, so now he's feeling lonely. He wants another wife. So he holds a beauty pageant. Hundreds of women are contestants. And the winner of this beauty pageant becomes the queen of Persia. The winner of this insane beauty pageant was a Jewish woman named Esther. She was an orphan girl. Her parents died and she was adopted by her older cousin Mordecai. And up until this point, Mordecai, we saw that he really hasn't been the most courageous. He's been somewhat cowardly. No one knows he's a Jew. He's commanded Esther to keep it a secret that she's a Jew, one of God's people. And he hands over his daughter, Esther, to the, one of the most horrible men, right? Without even putting up a fight. One of King Xerxes' main rulers, we saw this last week, is a man by the name of Haman. Haman is full of pride. He's full of arrogance. He loves power and glory. And a decree has been made by King Xerxes that everyone must bow down to Haman. Last week we saw that Mordecai finally got to a place where he couldn't take it anymore. He couldn't take the injustice. He just couldn't take it anymore. And Mordecai makes a critical decision not to bow down to Haman. So everyone bows down to Haman when he walks by except for one man, Mordecai. Haman uh, finds out that Mordecai is a Jew, and this angers him even more because Haman's people and Mordecai's people have been enemies throughout history. 
Haman makes a plan not only to kill Mordecai. I mean, he's, he's enraged now because of his pride. This one man didn't bow down to me, so now I'm going to kill him. And not only am I going to kill him, I'm going to kill all of his people. Many historians say it was roughly about 15 million Jews that lived in the Persian kingdom at this time. So Haman convinces Xerxes to enact this plan of genocide. We left the scene last week with Xerxes and Haman toasting a drink. Cheers to our power. Cheers to what we're able to do with the signature of a pen. We can slaughter a whole nation. Cheers. They're toasting their power. While on the streets, the general public was in utter confusion, wondering around, what's going on? Like, how in the world could authorities, you know, pass such a law? Nobody can change a law when King Xerxes passes a law. So the situation is hopeless. Everything is out of control. In the midst of all the chaos, though, church, God was working. He was working in the, in the background. We've mentioned that the book of Esther is often referred to as the godless book because God is never mentioned. But we know that He is working in the background. His sovereignty is so blatantly clear because He is working in the background and working in the heart of Esther, in the heart of Mordecai. He's working all things for good to those that love Him. The situation is hopeless. Everything's out of control. But God determined once again to use individuals. He determined to use people to be the difference makers, to stand in the gap of history. So let's pick up the story in Esther chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud, bitter cry, He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. Okay, so people in Esther's day, when they would mourn, they were very open and outward about their mourning. And and they would commonly tear their clothes. They would put on sackcloth, which was loose-fitting, dark-colored garments made out of goat's hair. And, And as well, they would take ashes from the remnants of a fire, and they would throw it all over themselves. Okay, so they would appear very unkept, unclean. And this was an outward expression of their grief. Mordecai is not only mourning that his people may be wiped out, but he's also publicly protesting. This is a, this is a protest that we see from Mordecai. Publicly, right now, Mordecai is identifying himself with the people of God. It's a very courageous act on the part of Mordecai. He was silent. But now he's speaking out. He was passive, but now he's active. He's changing. He's changing. It's a great reminder to you and to me that you can change. No matter how passive you've been in the past or how awful your leadership has been with your family or you know, just your flippant I don't care attitude, you can change. You can start today changing. We see great faith and courage rising up in Mordecai. He's publicly identifying himself with the people of God. Let me say something really quickly. A couple things about mourning. Many people express their sorrow or they mourn in different ways. You know, in our culture, the Western culture, 
mourning is often restrained. We often bottle it up. You know, we often keep it in. We don't want to show any signs of weakness. Often at funerals, you know, people will dress in black and sometimes widows will cover their face with a veil, hiding their tears. In the East, however, where the story is taking place, sorrow has always been expressed outwardly and vocally. Okay, we've all seen videos of great mobs as they, they push a casket overhead through a crowd screaming and crying out. They cry out and they weep and they mourn. And that's what Mordecai is doing here. It's very open. It's very outward. He's expressing his grief. He's not holding anything back. And I'm not saying that one culture is right and one culture is wrong. But as a Westerner, I can learn some things from this. The problem is, for many of us as Westerners, we, we bottle up our grief. And this leads to all kinds of horrible things. It leads to depression and anger and bitterness And often it leads many people to suicide because they just can't take it anymore. We like to think we're under control. I got this, right? I got this. I can do this. When in reality, we can't. We don't want to lose it, especially in front of people. I don't don't want people to think I'm weak. We don't want to get all emotional. We want to be tough. You know, many of us, sadly, are crumbling on the inside. And when asked, how are you doing? Our reply is often, good. The Scripture says that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He modeled it for us. Church, if you don't have a release valve, you're going to break. Grieving, weeping, singing out to God, walking through the hardship with others, it all helps to relieve the pressure. And when the hard circumstances come, and trust me, they're going to come, cancer, you know, losing your job, divorce, death, if you don't have a release valve, you'll break. Church, we need to grieve together. The Scripture says to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and to weep with those who weep. It's it's an act of worship. So Mordecai's mourning by the king's gate, he wasn't allowed into the king's palace because the king doesn't want to deal with anything that's negative, right? So if you get the picture here, Mordecai's mourning at the gate. Up in the ivory tower, King Xerxes is sipping on his martini, all right? Verse 3, And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and uh, lamenting. And many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. So we see now a picture of widespread sorrow and mourning. You know, the reality is that suffering brings people together. You remember 9-11? How united our country was? after that horrible event. Suffering brings people together. Suffering pushes us out of our homes and it, and it forces us to depend on one another. You know, after a hurricane swept through southern Florida, a man was interviewed and he said, yes, this hurricane it blew down all of our fences and I finally got to meet all of my neighbors. 
You know, hardships, they, they cause us to link arms with one another. It pulls us closer together. Hardship has a way of pushing everyone to the same level. There's no looking down on others. People don't really care about all the petty issues during hardships because the, the ultimate goal is survival. So we see here the Jewish people are weeping and mourning and fasting. And they're doing it together. Verse 4. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her the queen was deeply distressed. Okay, Esther doesn't know what's happening. She doesn't know why Mordecai is mourning. And she didn't know that there had been a law passed to slaughter her people. She's living the good life while disaster is close at hand. She's been living in a bubble, completely insulated from all the troubles around her. And I have to ask us this morning, are you living in a bubble? Are you being lulled into ignorance because of the good life? She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that she might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. So Mordecai refuses the clothing from Esther. And now Esther, now she really wants to know what's going on. Verse 5. Then Esther called for Hattach, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hattach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Throughout history, Satan has been at work in the background as well. Satan is always trying to destroy God's people. So let's be clear, there is two spiritual kingdoms and they are colliding. Okay, We see a, a picture here in Esther of darkness declaring war on light. Let's continue to read. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction. This is a huge crisis. That he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and to plead with him on behalf of her people. So Mordecai is taking bold steps of action. He's no longer passive. He's no longer, I don't care. He is taking steps forward. Mordecai's passiveness has turned into activeness. And he informs Queen Esther and he shares all the dreadful information with her. And he tells her to go to King Xerxes to plead their case, to fight for their people. And Mordecai knows full well that Esther will have to risk everything to do such a thing. Look at verse 9. And Hatach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hatach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death. That's the reality of the situation. Okay, And it's freaking Esther out. This is not good. If I go to, to the king and he hasn't summoned me, he can take my life. To challenge the king would probably mean death. She couldn't just stroll into her husband's office. I mean, things didn't work that way in the Persian kingdom. 
Xerxes had to send for her. He had to call for her. And if she went to him without being summoned, she could be put to death. And on top of that, she's a Jew. And Xerxes doesn't know that yet. Nobody knows. So who knows what Xerxes will do once he finds out that she's a Jew. Except the one whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. Okay, If he holds out his staff, your life is spared. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. Okay, don't be mistaken. This is not a happy marriage. Um, Mordecai, or, um, excuse me, Xerxes has already moved on. He has a harem full of women that can pleasure him whenever he wants. He's already moved on from Esther. This is not a happy marriage. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Let me ask you, what, what has God called you to do that's freaking you out? You're like, nothing, man. I would say that might be a problem. What, what has God called you to do that's challenging you? That, you know, is it, is it the Holy Spirit nudging you to read the Scriptures? Like you see your Bible on the coffee table every morning and you're like, man, I want to read it, but I don't want to read it. Is the Holy Spirit nudging you to come to church? Like, man, if I step foot in that building, it's going to collapse. If you're here, it hasn't collapsed yet. All right? Congratulations. Is He leading you to confess sin? Is God leading you to serve? Is He knocking on the door of your heart and you're afraid to let Him in? Esther quickly thinks of every excuse in the book, as would I. And I don't mean to minimize the situation that Esther's facing. Her life is on the line. But they are excuses nonetheless. What excuses do you have? What excuses? Come on, I could think of a thousand, right? What excuses are keeping you from following Christ? Mordecai Next, he gives three sentences that could change the course of history if Esther follows them. Listen, listen to this. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think, Esther, to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. He says, Esther, you're a Jew. So if they kill all the Jews, you're going to die too. For if you keep silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. He's saying, Esther, God is not limited to you and me. If you don't step up, He's going to use someone else. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows, Esther, whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther, God can use anyone He wants to But what if He's choosing you? Esther, what if He's calling you? This time, this place, this moment, what if He's choosing you for such a time as this? This is so powerful. This isn't three sentences from Mordecai that just stir up inspiration. The faith being demonstrated by Mordecai is pushing others to action. Here's the truth. When you make the decision to take steps toward Christ, when you make the decision to take steps of action, 
it will lead others to take steps of action. When you make the decision to follow Christ and you grow a spine and you start to follow, guess what? The spine and others begin to grow. Faith is demonstrated through action. Let me give you an example. Last year, my wife ran a half marathon. Okay, And it was amazing. It was a huge accomplishment for her. Um, it took a lot of training. It took a lot of hard work. And Trisha, she was very consistent with her training. She worked hard every day um, training for this half marathon. She was committed, and she did it. And it was awesome. I was so proud of her. Her courageous efforts inspired me. Like watching her train and work hard, it inspired me. But I'll be honest, okay, it didn't inspire me right away. And let me just be very clear. I'm not signing up to run a half marathon. Is that clear? Shake your heads if you understand that. I have many witnesses today. That Okay. Um, if you see me running, call the police because something mean and angry is chasing me. That's when you'll see me running. So Trisha, she ran the marathon in Colorado Springs and the, the race started early in the morning, and, and so me and a close friend, who's going to go nameless because I don't want to throw him under the bus, we dropped the girls off at the race, and we took our kids to Dunkin' Donuts. Okay? And it gets worse. We drove back to the race to cheer on the girls, and we made some fun signs, you know, to hold up and to just cheer cheer them on. and. We saw them coming in the distance. I think they were on mile eight or nine. And as they ran by, we, we cheered them on frantically, you know, holding the signs and like, you're almost there, you know, a hundred more miles to go, that kind of stuff. And as they ran into the distance, I looked down in my hand and there was one of the greatest things in all the world, an apple crumb donut. Have you had that at Dunkin' Donuts? It's amazing. So as my wife is running a half marathon, I was cheering her on from the sidelines with a donut in my mouth. You got this, babe. (laughs) You got this. When you take action, it will inspire others to take action. But let me encourage you, the transformation may not happen overnight. Her dedication has led me to cut down on my donuts. All right? That's the first step I've taken. Let's get back to the story. This, this, is, this train is derailing. So Mordecai pushes Esther to do the right thing. He gives her an injection of inspiration. This is your moment, Esther. You were born for such a time as this. Stand up. Speak up. And die if necessary. But whatever you do, Esther, whatever you do, don't be silent. And Esther responds to Mordecai with words that are filled with faith and courage. Words that are sending chills up my spine as we speak. Look at verses 15 and 16. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go and gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. This is a spiritual discipline, sadly, many of us Christians have forgotten about. 
I and my young women will also fast as you, as you do. Okay, so she's part of a small group. You see it right there in scriptures. You need to be a part of a small group. All right, that's my little plug. Her and her young women. It's right there, small group. Did I mention you need to be a part of a small group? Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And listen to this. This is amazing. And if I perish, I perish. You see, once again, many of us read the Bible in a religious way. and We think, oh, man, Esther, maybe she could see the future. And she had, you know, this amazing courage that I don't have. And Oh, she's, she's just like you. She's just like me. She was going to do something, and she didn't know if she was going to live or die. But she said, if I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. If, if a soldier cuts off my head, I will die doing the right thing. Do you see the change in Esther? She's gone from fear and excuses to faith and action. And Esther comes to a moment She comes to a moment where she has to make a decision. And she decides, you know what? Enough. Enough of the good life. It's time to put the donut down. To get off of the sidelines. It's time to put my name on the line. And I'm not ashamed to be identified with God's people. And by faith, I'm going to follow the living God. I'm ready to stand. I'm ready to do what's right. And I'm ready to fight for my people. And if I perish, I perish. Now, church, now she's in a position to make a difference. Her pride has died. She has no more excuses. And she says, God, here am I. Send me. I'll do it. The decisions of Mordecai, they made all the difference. The decisions of Esther, they made all the difference. One life can make all the difference. There was another life. There was another individual who made all the difference for the entire human race. You see, we're all under the curse of death because of sin and rebellion. You and I are in a situation worse than what the Jews were in, in Persia. We're in bondage. And we cannot deliver ourselves. We're under the curse of sin. And we cannot save ourselves. You have to be perfect, completely sinless, to save yourself. And none of us are. But you know what? God loved you so much that He did something about it. He did something to save you, to save me. God, the King of all kings, got off His throne and came and lived a sinless, perfect life. He willingly died a brutal death. And today we're celebrating the fact that three days later, after His death, Jesus conquered death, hell, Satan, sin, and the grave. And He's alive today. Let's practice real quick. We got to do better than golf clapping. Okay, come on. Ready? One, two, three. Here we go. Yeah. yeah. Woo. Nice work. Jesus made a way for us to have eternal life. 
And because of Jesus, we can be set free from the bondage of sin. God got off His throne to rescue us. And so this morning, I just want to ask, are you willing to put your faith in Jesus Christ? And you say, no way, man. I got too many questions. You know, that's okay. That's all right. Let me say, first of all, that God is not afraid of your questions. It's all right. Just make the decision to take a step forward. You say, man, I don't have any reason not to believe Him. So I'm I'm just going to take a step forward. Just make the decision to start getting those questions answered. The Scripture says, seek and you will find. God is not hiding from you. If you truly want to know God, He will make Himself known to you. Just take a step. Make the decision to seek after Him and He will make Himself known to you. Just take a step. It's a journey, okay? Like, man, I think some people are like, what, what does it mean if I decide to follow Jesus Christ? And, you know, what does that mean? What does that look like? It just means like taking a step. You know, a baby's born and he has to crawl before he can walk and he has to walk before he can run. It's the same thing spiritually, all right? Just take a step. You may be like, man, I'm just crawling. It's all right. You have to crawl before you can walk. You have to walk before you can run. Just take a step. To those of us who've already put our faith in Jesus Christ, I have to remind you, I have to remind us that we prove that faith by following Him. And let me, be, let me speak bluntly to us Christians. Too many of us have used that salvation experience or that faith in Jesus as a free ticket out of hell, but we live like hell. Let me, let me challenge you that the way you prove your faith is by following Jesus Christ. The Scripture says you will know them by their fruits. You prove your faith by following Him. We were created for such a time as this. For this time in history. And how tragic it would be if we didn't use our God-given moments, which the Scripture says the moments you've been given in life are like a vapor. They come and go so quickly. How tragic it would be if we didn't use those moments to make a difference. There's that saying, just do something, right? I'm going to invite the band up this morning. If you guys would go ahead and make your way up. And they're going to sing a very powerful song called, It Was Love. It was love that held them on the cross. It wasn't the nails. Because I, I believe many of us think that Jesus went to the cross kicking and screaming like he was resisting and fighting. No, the Scripture says he willingly laid down his life. He didn't go kicking and screaming. He willingly went to the cross. And it was love that held him on the cross. It was love for you. I want to just encourage you, if you want to take a step forward in your journey of faith, a step towards Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you, to do something. I'm going to ask you to grab this card, okay? It's located in the seat pocket in front of you or behind you. Grab this card, and I'm going to ask you to fill it out. And uh, just put your name, your phone number, and on the back, it says, I would like to take the next step. So I want to encourage you just to fill out one of those circles, color it in, 
and just take a step forward today. Like, you don't have to jump all in. You just need to take a step forward. And then, after we dismiss the service today, I'm going to ask you to take that card, to go into the lobby. There's some black offering boxes, and to put it in that black offering box. And here's what's going to happen. A pastor from Grace Church is going to contact you. We're going to follow up with you, and we're going to try to help you walk through that step. To say, hey, I saw that you marked this. And here's what the Bible has to say about that. And we'll do our best to answer your questions. Because what I'm finding in our culture is a lot of people are coming with a lot of questions. And they want those questions answered, you know, before they take that step of faith. And that's okay. And I want to do my best to answer your questions. But you know what? I still have questions. So if you think for a moment that you're going to get all your questions answered, I don't want to lie to you. You're not going to get all your questions answered. That's why it's called faith. I still have questions. But you know, I had to get to a place in my life where I said, oh my gosh, I need Jesus. There's no reason for me not to follow him. So I gave my life to him. And you need to have that moment as well. So I want to encourage you, as the band plays, grab this card, fill it out. Just make a decision to take one step Okay, take one step forward, put it in the black offering box. A pastor from Grace Church will contact you and will help you through that step this morning. Um, It won't be this morning, it'll probably be later this week. Okay, (laughs) let me close in prayer. Father God, I pray you would make yourself known to people today. May they feel your presence, may they know your love, and may they experience your kindness. The scripture says it's the kindness of God that leads or draws men to repentance. I pray that many today would make that decision to just take a step forward, a step that's closer to God. God, you are so good. And like the song's going to sing, it wasn't the nails that held you on the cross. It was your great love for us. And we don't understand that kind of love, but we are so grateful We don't understand how someone could die for his enemies. Jesus, thank you for conquering death and hell and Satan and the grave. And because of you, Jesus, we can be reunited with God. And we celebrate the fact today that you are alive. And we worship you as the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the boss of all bosses, the one true living God. In Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. Take this.